Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Happy Hour Talks with... Hi, I'm China. I'm Jeree. And I'm Ruth. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Miss Lisa Hilton. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I'm happy to be here. We are so excited to have you. We've been trying to, you know, get you on this podcast for a while to share your wisdom with us. Um, just please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I live in Los Angeles, but I'm originally from the Cayman Islands. I have been living in the U.S. now for a little over 10 years. Um, and I am an accounting accountant by background. So I went to school um, at the University of Georgia down south for accounting, went home, worked in uh, public accounting for a combined 10 years. So four years in Grand Cayman four years in Boston, and then two years here in Los Angeles before leaving to go work for an investment manager um, as a controller in private equity real estate funds. I did that for four and a half years and then left in April of 2021 to further build my business, uh, which is a real estate investment firm, uh, specifically helping everyday investors to in invest in commercial real estate projects. So that's what I focus on doing. So growing up, have you always been interested in math, money, all of that? Or what made you go into accounting in college? Yeah, I definitely was always interested in um, some aspects of money to some extent, I would say for sure. So like I grew up in a real estate family. My father was a contractor. He built 14 apartment units when I was a small child. So by time I grew up always being around tenants, collecting rent, selling quarters for people to go wash laundry at the laundromat, um, giving people receipts when they pay their rent, um, or, you know, tenants coming over and having issues with whatever and like calling maintenance or my parents going out and trying to fix whatever the issue is. So I was always around that, but I never really saw real estate as the path for me, to be honest with you, until much later. Uh, my parents were really into like going to school, make sure you get a good education. And how I got into accounting is while I was in Cayman, um, I, was I was in high school and I found out that Cayman um, allowed people, allowed young people to intern at different places. And the Cayman Islands government allowed people to intern at the hospital, Caymanians to intern at the hospital. So I was like, oh, I think I want to be a doctor, pediatrics. So I signed up and I applied and they were like, okay, well, we have given you four weeks or six weeks, but you're only two weeks you can spend in pediatrics. Where do you want to spend the rest of your time? And I said, oh, I want to spend it in like accounting. Well, they gave me all the different options. And I chose accounting and finance out of everything else that was available. So like radiology, this, that, and whatever. Um, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So when I did pediatrics, I realized, wow, like uh, whenever they came to like draw blood or anything related to blood, I was just like, whoa, like this is just not good. <laughs> um, like I had to leave the room. Like I just couldn't stay around for that. And that's when I realized, oh, this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went to accounting and finance and I was like, oh, wow, like I actually really enjoy this a lot. So I went back to school, um, finished up and um, applied for scholarships. At that time, I still didn't know it was really accounting, but I, I applied like in Cayman, they have like a book of scholarships 
where people can go, like all the different companies that are on the island um, provide financial support for students who want to go to school. Um, so I was looking at the different scholarship opportunities to go to the community college in Cayman. Um, and I applied to different companies and it just so happened that the company that um, offered me an, a scholarship was at PwC and PwC wanted me to do accounting major. And I was like, you know what? I can do accounting, that works. Um, so, and that's how, that's how the journey began. <laughs> so yeah. That's awesome. So throughout that entire journey, how did you not get intimidated with your skills and your knowledge? Um, intimidated. Uh, so perhaps maybe you mean like, how did I not get intimidated by like the gap between where I was and like where I was seeking to go? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I have definitely made a lot of leaps in my life. Yes. <laughs> Lucky, luckily, I've somehow always fall, fallen on my feet somehow, or rolled over and got on my feet. Um, you know, so I think it's, you know, really, it's about the people um, around really good people. Like when I think back, I think about like, just like in my early, early, early years, like I didn't necessarily know the impact of people, to be honest with you. I, I think it's a, just a combination of like my own natural tenacity at that time to desire to make something of myself. And then as time went on, I began to realize the power of being in the right, around the right people and having the right environment around me. And like even the things that I consume on like YouTube and like online and podcasts and books that I read, like all of them are helping to feed me to like sort of give me examples of people who have done things that, you know, I am seeking to do or I want to do. And even now in my entrepreneurial journey, um, as well as my prof professional journey, like my career as well, which goes on simultaneously at the same time, um, even now, like it's really about having those people around me, like people who have either done this before and can be like, no, like this is the reality. Like you just got to keep going and, you know, and to go from there. So, yeah. That brings up a really good point. Um, I wanted to ask, did you feel like you had a mentor or one specific person that just was really great and gave you like one piece of great advice that you think was so like crucial to your come up? Um, I would say, first of all, I still think that I'm still coming up. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Okay. Um, and I have had a lot of mentors and coaches in my life, a lot. Um, some of them I have paid for their time and some have been people that I've met along the way and who have, um, just imparted, you know, a lot of really great advice for me. Uh, uh, so looking back, you know, um, I can't like, I love listening to Oprah a lot. She's one of mine. Uh, like she has a story about like, um, one of the YouTube videos that I remember now that I remembered that I listened to a lot in the past year to two years is like, when she was growing up and how she 
was like in Mississippi and like her mother, her grandmother that she was living with was like, you know, girl, you better learn how to like put these clothes on the line because you're going to have to be able to do this stuff. Like when you get older and like in her mind, she was like, no, I'm not going to be doing that. Like, that's just not what I'm going to be doing. And for her to like, see that, even though like everything that around her wasn't showing her that like, that's what was possible for her. Like, I really, really love her story so much. Um, And it's people like her that helped me to like, still have vision and um, motivation to keep going towards your dreams, even though you get through challenging situations and sometimes things don't, you know, come as planned and you get, you have to take some detours and go to different roads to get to where you need to go. So, yeah. What advice would you give to people wanting to get into real estate? Yeah. So I would say first thing, so real it, Real estate requires three things, money, time, and experience. So if you have money, you have a variety of different options. You could come into real estate via like investing in REITs, um, you know, uh, real estate investment trusses, which is very simple to do via like Robinhood, or it's just like buying a stock. You find the REIT, buy it online. And if you don't like it, you can sell it at the end of the quarter or whenever you're able to sell and get out of the asset. Um, and then further with money, you could also decide that I want to buy like a single family home, a duplex, a triplex. Um, and then if you're like, you know what, I don't want to be involved hands-on with any like single family property or, you know, because many of these smaller properties are going to require some hands-on, um, potentially, or you hire property management that can help manage them. The next level up is like investing in like syndications, commercial real estate investments. That is going to take a little bit more money, but that's all in the same money bucket, right? So next up is time. So if I tell people if they're low on money, if they have time, they could do a variety of different things. So like time could mean like, okay, you have the ability to add value to someone else by being the boots on the ground. Um, so helping them with their properties that they have locally if they don't live in this area that in which they're investing in. And to find those people is like going to like real estate meetup groups and you know around the country either virtually as well as the ones in your in your local vicinity and sort of letting people know hey listen I'm willing to be boots on the ground or just asking people what are some of the things that you're looking for in your business right now and from doing that you'll get to learn about what are some of the things that they're looking for and perhaps see if that's something that you could help them do um the third is experience. So that time piece that I talked about could give you the experience you need to then be able to add value to even more people later on in the future. Also, if you're just at a place where you have experience in general, maybe you have experience running a business and then that off that ability to run businesses can come and add value to someone. Or maybe you've just experienced, you know, you know, working with different properties already, portfolio management, you could also look for jobs, being a property management that gives you experience managing properties and stuff like that, which then enables you to help other investors 
And then through that potentially become an owner because you could then negotiate, Hey, listen, I'm willing to be property management, but I'm also like willing to have equity in this investment. What does that look like, you know, to negotiate and to, to go from there. So that's sort of what I would say are some, those are the three things for people who are trying to get started. It's like, okay, take a step back. You know, what's your money situation like? What is your time situation like? What is your experience situation like when it comes to real estate? And then think about like what it is that you want. Like where, what season of life are you in? Like, are you in your twenties and you're just getting started or are you in your fifties and sixties? And you're like now saying, you know what? I'm not interested in doing, getting out there and doing all this work. Or maybe you are in your fifties and sixties and you are interested in going out there and finding properties. Um, I have a podcast as well. And I've had guests, all age groups, like people who are in their sixties, retired and out there looking for properties, you know, grinding, like finding the properties, putting them under contract um, and like building out their commercial real estate portfolios. So age doesn't, um, isn't a determinant of what cycle of life a person's in. It's more about like they themselves sort of taking stock at like where you are and sort of determining whether like, what is it, what kind of life you want to live right now and what works for you and your skill sets. So, yeah. Um, I have a question. Have you noticed an influx of people wanting to get I guess, jobs in real estate since the pandemic started. I noticed every time I click on my social medias, um, I have people that are like, I'm going to be a real estate agent. And it's more common the last few months. So I was just seeing or asking if you've noticed that as well. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, I'm not sure, but I will say that I'm not surprised because like um, home prices are fairly high at the moment which makes sense, makes um, real estate agent and broker roles very attractive because when they broker or sell that property to someone, like the higher the price of the property is potentially the higher their commission because their commission checks are usually a percentage of the, the sale price of the property. So as property values increase, then these kinds of roles become even more attractive. So that's what I would say for the real estate agents for sure. So, yeah. Going off of, oh, I'm sorry, Drew. (laughs) Going off of that question, a lot of people have been saying, oh, the housing market is crazy right now. Yeah. Can you please explain to us what that is all about or, or what's going on right now? Yeah. So historically up until this point, we've been in a very low interest rate environment. Um, and then the, you know, because of the pandemic, um, the Fed has had to print a lot of money um, to help people, you know, for good reason, because a lot of people, a lot of companies have had to go away because they weren't making any money. So a lot of people have lost jobs. So the government has spent like printed a ton of money to circulate into the economy in order to keep the economy buoyant and afloat. Um, And by them printing all that money, it causes inflation because you have a large supply of money and you have a limited supply of goods, which then causes you to have, it causes the goods to now increase in price so that the goods don't run out, right? So now the goods cost more than they did in the past because people have more money. 
so to speak, you know, um, because of all the printing. So what that as a result, home prices, of course, have continued to increase um, because of that. Uh, however, I think always, I always try to caveat everything because like, I don't know, like every single real estate market across the United States. So like when people say house housing prices have increased, that might be true for some markets, but there might be markets out there that are experiencing declines in, um, in home values. So that's something always to keep in mind, you know, with that as well, but that's sort of what's going on. So you find that some people are like, okay, they're going to wait until a crash. They're going to wait. They're going to wait. So like, I do listen to a lot of economists talks about the economy and about the real estate markets. Um, one of the things that is that I believe to be true, but I don't know, no one knows for sure. Cause there's some people who argue that interest rates are not going to increase. And then you have other people that are arguing that they are. Um, I do think that there might be an increase in interest rates. <clears throat> Whether it's going to be significantly large is to be seen, but I think there is going to be some increases in interest rates. So what does that mean for investors? What that means is that potentially as interest rates increase, potentially prices of homes might level out a bit, right? And they might not be going up as much. Um, however, if there's still a lot of demand and people continue to keep buying, then there'll be no option but for the houses to continue, the prices to continue to increase, even in the face of a little bit higher interest rates. So I think it's unwise to wait until a crash to be buying real estate. I think what's more wise is to sort of look and see, okay, number one, can you afford to be buying the property? And what does that mean? Do you have the financial wherewithal to purchase this? Um, do you have the balance sheet to purchase it? Meaning that you either have salary or business income that is very stable and or is of good amount. Um, and do you have reserves? Like, do you have at least six months to maybe even 12 months if you want to be super conservative um, of cash that if you didn't get a tenant that you can pay the mortgage um, <clears throat> for at least six to 12 months, you know, and having on hand, like thinking about if you're buying a property, getting it inspected and looking to see what are some big CapEx issues like roof, HVAC, which is the AC, plumbing, um, and then any kind of capital expenditure things that you want to do that might increase the potential rent, like sort of looking at what the prices of those things are and just making sure that you have good sound numbers. I think that if you're going into a transaction where you have good liquidity on your side, you'll be able to weather the storms. Where people run into issues is when they buy properties that they can't afford to service. Um, so like if they're unable to get a tenant, they're in a problem or they buy it and they realize that the roof needs to be changed. Um, and that's now a 10, 15, 20, $30,000 repair. And they didn't think about it. So now they're in additional debt because they need to do this in order for the, for the investment to start to make sense. So I think those are the things. It's really about getting educated about your real estate investment like strategy that you're trying to pursue. 
Um, same thing for Airbnb. That's like a hot strategy at the moment, right? Um, people are really into Airbnb and Airbnb arbitrage. This is a hot strategy. It has the ability for you to make a lot of money, but it comes with the highest risk in the real estate strategy, the highest risk, because you have no lease for no one. So you are at the whims of the market to rent your place every single month for you to hit the cash flow you need to hit in order for you to pay rent. <laughs> you know, so I think um, people just need to think about that. And you're also dealing, I live in LA, you're dealing with cities that have regulations. So you need to always be thinking about that, researching that, be on top of that, make sure that you know about the new legislations that are coming through, how they could potentially impact you, doing all you can to be involved in them. And then to the extent that they do impact you, be able to pivot um, and have different exit strategies, Being a, also being in a place where like if you needed to rent it to a long-term tenant, you have the ability to do so. So yeah. All right, so let's go back to the money aspect a little bit. Realistically, how much money do you need to start? Because many of us, all of us are new college graduates. We don't have that much money saved up. Where can we start? What resources do we have to look for? Yeah. Yeah, great question. So where do you start? There is a lot of creativity to answer that question. Um, I think that a couple things that I, if I was starting out as a college student, like thinking back, you know, I would, one, I would want to make sure from a professional point of view that you're setting yourself up to, um, to grow to your highest potential, both um, in earnings, as well as in um, experience for whatever career that you're in, right? So there's that part. And then in terms of starting in real estate, so I think I would start with, um, if you can, I would start with like a fourplex. Um, and I would, depending on where you live, like if you live in LA with me, good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> because the duplexes out here are like 700 to over a million dollars. So that means you'll need close to $200,000 in down payment. And then remember the things I was talking about, about reserves and all that good stuff. You're, you're easily looking at like almost like $300,000 in, in like cash, like that you would want to have moving into some kind of investment like that. However, if you're living in a city like Atlanta, the Carolinas, North and South, Tennessee, Nashville, Chattanooga, um, Alabama, Birmingham, um, the city in the north, uh, Huntsville, uh, you know, all the different Texas cities, Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Arizona, these cities are all markets that are experiencing massive amounts of growth when it comes to population growth, job growth. So if you are a listener and you're, you're living in any of those cities, and to the extent that you can afford to buy a fourplex, you could do so with an FHA loan, live in one, that's 5% down, three to 5% down, or maybe you can even negotiate less than that. Um, and you're living in one and you're renting out all the others. That's giving you awesome experience because now you get the experience of being a landlord yourself 
and you have other people that are helping you to pay down your rent. So there's that. If you're like, oh, you know, I don't really like the idea of being a landlord. Maybe you like the idea of being in the hospitality business, which is the Airbnb. Um, and you don't have the money to go buy an Airbnb outright. You can do Airbnb arbitrage. So that's where you talk to different, like, for instance, I live in an apartment here in Los Angeles. Um, and <clears throat> you could approach like the landlord of this apartment and say, hey, listen, you have a one bedroom. I'm interested in renting it um, for corporate rentals to put it on Airbnb. Would you be OK with that? And they might say yes or they might say no. And if they say yes, then now you're on the hook for the rent, but you're renting the place on Airbnb and you're collecting that money. So if you're able to collect, you know, like rent the place for a hundred and something dollars a night and you're able to achieve that and whatever else, you know, and you make enough to cover the rent and everything, then it's a great situation for you, right? You might choose to be strategic about where you decide to rent and do execute this strategy. So you probably want to be like in Hollywood, Santa Monica, like places where people want to, as tourists are trying to go and like, there's a lot of good foot traffic. So that way, um, you know, you can get top dollar per night for whatever it is that you're renting out. Um, so that's also an option if you're just starting out is I think that the Airbnb arbitrage strategy is pretty awesome. Um, also, if you're thinking, okay, well, hmm, I don't know if I want to do that. Well, you could also rent a house um, and rent out the other like units, like not units, but rooms. So you could decide that you want to rent a three bedroom apartment or a three bedroom house or a four bedroom house or a five bedroom house. And then you rent out all the other rooms to other people. And that's how you are then enabling to make, make some money while you don't even own the entire place. Like granted, you would need to be making enough to, um, to qualify with the landlord to be able to rent it, right? Uh, but once you are able to do that, then you're on your way. Another option, you're probably thinking, man, how come there's so many options? Because there's a lot. <laughs> Another option is owner financing. <clears throat> so you could get out there, especially landlords who are older, you know, or people who are not necessarily older, but they are done. They're done. They're done with managing real estate. They're done with managing tenants. They are done. And they would like a steady stream of income. You could negotiate with them and say, hey, listen, I'm interested in buying your place. Would you be able to, would you be interested in selling it to me owner financed? So what that looks like is they become the bank. They become the bank. You now get into an eight unit that you're now the owner of, um, but you owe money to them. So they sell you the eight unit for, I don't know, make it simple, a million dollars. And they now want to, that, like you set up what the loan agreement is going to be, you know, in terms of how much they're going to get in principle, how much is going to be an in interest, or maybe it's an interest only for a certain amount of time. And they, you know, like whatever you choose to do, but like, there are definitely different options. Um, it's just about like, whether that's the strategy you want to do, if that's what you want to do. So, yeah. 
And there's others, there's also wholesaling. A lot of people who are just starting out will dabble into wholesaling. That's where they'll find properties and then also find buyers and seek to match the two. Um, that can be quite lucrative too. It just depends on like what it is that you want to do. So, yeah. I want to highlight you. So can you talk to us about your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast is called the Level Up REI. Um, I started my podcast in February of 2020. Um, however, I started like recording shows in the, in like November, December, or in December of 2019. Um, and when I started the podcast, the, the plan for it was to interview real estate investors. Like that, that was just my, like, it was just that simple. It was like, okay, I'm just going to create a podcast and I'm going to interview various real estate investors. And that was it. Um, and I learned a lot. <laughs> Over the times, um, you know, I've definitely interviewed a ton of investors at this point. I've done a little over 100 episodes. Um, new episodes drop every Tuesday. Uh, and then these days, like last month, January, I did um, all episodes on blockchain. So real estate on the blockchain and like how the interaction of those um, and how the blockchain is, in, is impacting real estate now and as well as into the future. Um, this month is on like alternative investments outside of just investing in multifamily. So, you know, investing in vineyards, investing in uh, self-storage, um, you know, various kinds of things like that, as well as some passive real estate investor education. Uh, so, yeah, so that's sort of what I'm working on right now. And in terms of episodes going forward into the future, I am trying to dabble between having some episodes on with accountants, accountants who invest in real estate, primarily because I'm an accountant. Um, so like sharing their journeys of how they've gotten started, as well as like even accounting journeys, like CPA journeys, like from a careers perspective, like when you started out coming out of college and you went for an accounting degree and like 15, 20 years later, you're now like working, you might still be in accounting, you've pivoted, you've created a business, you're, you're now a CFO, you've moved into marketing, whatever, like your whole journey and like what you've learned along the way and like, um, like how, you know, the relationships of people you've met have helped you to get to where you are and the clarity and the peace that you see for yourself, as well as the vision of what it is that you want to create in the future. So, so yeah, it's, for me, it's really largely um, hinges on like where I am, like as a person, like I have seen myself grow and change and pivot and try different things. Um, and I've realized that it's all a journey. It's one of the things I say a lot um, and say, yeah, so CPA journeys, it's like, you know, so I'm going to start having some episodes on that, like people being able to share their stories about being an accountant, investing, as well as, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or building an accounting business or pivoting to do something else completely different. So, yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask, do you have any advice for like young first time home buyers? Yeah. So first time home buyers. Aye, aye, aye. So what I would say is a home, just know that your home is not technically an investment. 
<laughs> um, I know it's one of those things that people are like, oh yeah, you know, I bought a home, like it's it's an investment, la 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 la, on and on and on. But um, assets actually generate income every month. Homes that you live in don't. They actually take money every month because many people, when they buy a home, a lot of more money goes into the home because they have renovation projects. Um, they also have huge projects to, you know, furnish the place. Um, you can get caught up into the Joneses and all that stuff, trying to, you know, outbeat all kind of people and blah, blah, blah with the home situation. They don't really see the home as a place where they are like, okay, how can I leverage this home? Going back to like renting out rooms or renting out the base, like optimizing the basement and renting it out, you know, or like stuff like that. Like, and you're probably thinking, but you know, for me, I think, when I think about my younger years and when I, what I would encourage people is like the younger you get started investing in assets, this, what ends up happening is later on you get options. Um, and if you wait till later to then start investing, your options are going to be later too. One of the beautiful things about my decision to make the investments I made is that it's, it's enabled me to be in a position now where I have the option to choose the kind of jobs that I want to be doing. And that is powerful. And it's more powerful because as women, you might decide at some point that you want to have children, get married, get married, have children, et cetera. You might want to have the option to say, you know what, I don't want to work these kinds of hours. But when you don't set yourself up to have other streams of income, that's not possible. So I think that it's really important, like in the beginning, to be thinking about like, how can you, like, instead of buying the first home, buy a first fourplex rent out the other units, you know, and then a year or two from now, buy another one and then buy another one. By time you're, you're 22, by time you get to 30, you have a couple fourplexes. You can then sell one and level up into a bigger property, 10 unit, 20 unit, 30 unit, 40 unit, 50 unit, 100 units. And you might say, okay, well, I don't want to manage all of that. No problem. There's syndications. That's where you could sell one, refi, refinance. Some people even have a home. They refinance and take all the money and put it back into the freaking home. Or take the money and go on vacation. I'm like, refi, get the money and go buy an asset that's going to produce more cash flow. As opposed to just being in the handcuffs. So to me, I think that there's a beauty in using these high income jobs. Going to school for accounting, lawyer, doctor, whatever, whatever, however they make their money, business, entrepreneurship, et cetera. 
but like, don't forget to invest. And I think that that's would be like for buying their first home. I would say pause on the home and go buy a duplex, pause on the home, buy a triplex, buy a fourplex, rent out the other units, live in one, wait a year, accumulate more money and do it again, buy another fourplex. And before you know it, you'll have a portfolio. And that's going to provide you with the option to have options. That's my two cents. Thank you for explaining it like that. You're so right, because we talk about keeping up with the Joneses and, oh, I'm going to buy a house and this and that. But, you know, it's like maybe buy that fourplex and stay in that apartment and then, you know, use that money to where when you do have a family in 10, 15 years, then you might think about home. Yeah, you know. I, I have invested in, at this point, I have invested in a lot of different commercial real estate assets. Um, and I rent here in LA, the kind of money I've invested in commercial real estate, I could have bought places here in LA, but I now have the option to like, if I want to leave, I want to do something I can like, you know, and these assets that I've invested in kick off cash flow every month. So every month or every quarter money is coming into my bank account, regardless of whether I work or not. It's not dependent on me checking in. And that is the power of like building long-term wealth. It's like, how do you set yourself up where you're creating streams of income, businesses, real estate investments, stock portfolio, whatever, a combination, everything, you know, careers as well. Like, you know, building a brand for yourself in your career where you're known for like Lisa's an accountant, but what is she known for? Oh, she's an accountant. Like if you are trying to create a fund, that's the accountant you're going to want to see because they're going to help you put together your whole system and get you fully integrated to be able to get your fund from zero to, you know, over a million dollars, right? So that's the other aspect of like um, the career aspect that I have learned late in my journey as well, is that you, it's important for you to brand yourself even in, as a professional, like, so then that enables you to potentially be an entrepreneur, intrapreneur, like in your, in your field where you don't need to even be looking for jobs because jobs come to you because you've made a brand for yourself. So, yeah. Going off of that a little bit, how do you feel about fixer uppers or buying a home and flipping it? Is it really worth it in the end? Great question. Great question. Um, yeah. So, First is fixer uppers. So there are people who buy homes and then they do the burr strategy. Um, and they're actually, some of them do the burr and they don't live in it. And some of them burr while they're living in it. Um, I think that if you know what you're doing, go for it. And if you don't know what you're doing and you think that that's a strategy that you want to do, try it. I've had friends who tried it. And then after they tried it, they said, yep, not for me. Actually, I have two friends who've done it. They tried it and they realized they, afterwards, they were like, yep, that's not for me, but we've done it. We've tried it. And now we know that's not our strategy. 
So I think all the strategies can work. It really comes down to you knowing yourself. And sometimes it means trying things. So that way you can see, ah, you know what? This works for me. I really like it. Or this doesn't work for me. And this is not my fit. Or this doesn't work. But I think I want to try it again because I learned something from this that I want to now pivot and try again and see if I can perfect it. And if you do, great. And then if you tried a couple more times and you're like, okay, this is just not working, then you know you need to pivot. So yeah, so Burr is also another way that people can get in because like they might pick up a home that, you know, needs a little bit of work. So as a result, it has a lower price because people know that whoever buys it is going to need to do a little bit of work or you've negotiated a lower price because you could see that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, so burrs and flips, uh, flip, you just want to know the market very well. You know, um, I had a lot of friends that were flipping here in LA. Um, I've noticed that many of them are no longer flipping right now. So it just depends on how the market is going, like with a rise in interest rates. I think people are a little bit, well, the rates haven't rise yet, but like people are concerned about the rates rising. So that's why I think flipping has slowed down just a tad, unless you're in some of these other high growth markets that are expecting a lot of growth. So, yeah. What skills do you need to get into this market? Do you have to be a good negotiator, communicator, organized? How do you, yes. what skills are needed? Okay. So it depends on how you want to play. So, and what strategy you're trying to execute on. So in the residential space, um, I would say by and large, it's a one-man show, by and large. So what I mean by that is you can like build a team per, to, per se. So you might have your property managers, your, your real estate agent, um, your banker to help you to get the loan. And then once you've purchased the property, you know, you and your property management, you manage the property or you don't have a property management and you just manage the property directly, you know? So like, it's very simplistic in terms of like the residential space. And then on the wholesaling side and the flipping, like some people similarly are like doing the flip sort of on their, not by themselves. They have a team that helps them to like flip the property. Um, so I think that by and large, real estate is a team sport, but they're in the residential space, it's a little less team specifically. It's more like you're hiring people that are like sort of working for you um, kind of thing. Uh, in the commercial space, uh, so before I move from that, uh, in the residential space, then to answer your question, some of the skills, you're then looking at someone who is good at they should be good at running numbers because they're going to need to run the numbers for their property for sure. So like if they're buying a single family, a fourplex, a triplex, they're going to need to understand how to run the numbers because they don't really have anyone else on their team to be doing that since they're the money in the deal and they're the owner of the deal as well. Right. Um, and then in terms of being organized, I think, yeah, you can, you, you should be organized, but I'm sure there are people out there that are buying homes and stuff that aren't super duper organized. I don't feel like as though it's as critical because like 
it's your money and it's just, it's literally just you and, you know, your family, your significant other or whomever you're buying the deal with. Um, so that's what I would say for there. In the commercial space, um, it's very critical for you to know what you what value you're bringing to the table. So there's four roles in the commercial real estate sector. Um, there is acquisitions, um, underwriting, asset management, and then investor relations. So there are people out there who try to do everything. Um, I don't meet too many of those people. <laughs> so usually you have someone who's really good at one of the roles and then they have high, they are partnered. So this is not paying someone, but they're partnering with someone else who is bringing some of these other skill sets and together they buy a property. Um, and then they hire the property management and then they still have the bank who's helping to provide the loan. Um, and they still have um, like contractors and that kind of stuff as well. But really and truly like you're in partnership to purchase. You're in partnership to find a deal and like get it underwritten and asset manage it and like make sure you have enough money to buy it. So um, those are like in terms of the skill sets, I think that because there's three different roles, you can have very different skill sets. So like people who are like really big into marketing and really into talking to people and, and all that stuff, you might find them in like the investor relations space, asset management, like people who also like people, cause you're going to be asset managing, managing people, um, but also good at numbers, understand, you know, the construction, if you're going to be doing construction projects, um, underwriters also really good at numbers, don't necessarily need to be people, people at all sorry, <laughs> at all. Um, but like, they are really good at the numbers, really good at analysis and that kind of stuff. Um, acquisitions people, I would say very outgoing, really into like thinking about all the different strategies of building um, the pipeline to get deals and talk to owners and brokers and really deep in the market, them and the um, underwriters and the asset managers to some extent are really deep in the market. Um, whereas asset management would be really deep on asset as well. So like they understand like the numbers for like, um, doing a construction renovation and like, you know, all the different appliances and all the things that you would potentially need to be buying for, for the particular asset as well. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, because at first I was a little bit intimidated hearing all of this, but I realized it's just not a one woman or one man. Show. Yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, it definitely isn't. Okay, so can you talk to us about the other services that you provide? Uh, yeah, so as I had mentioned before, so I focus on commercial real estate assets. Um, <clears throat> when I got started in 2019, investing passively in different commercial real estate opportunities, as time went on, I realized, wow, you know, I would like, like I had other friends who were interested in investing in these kinds of deals as well. 
Um, and I thought, what, you know what, it would be great if I'd be able to like provide opportunities for other people to invest alongside me in some of these types of deals. Um, and that I wasn't just doing it one on my own. And it would also be able to provide bigger track sizes would enable me to get better returns, not just only for myself, but also for my investors. So that's how I got like started with the whole idea of like sort of putting together fund entities to be able to invest with, you know, large sponsors that have very good track record, um, who have the ability to get deals very easily because of their reputations in the market. Um, and they just, you know, need investor capital and that's it. So for me, that's how I started and that's what I've been doing now. So I did my first one in the fall of 2019. It was a two property portfolio, 250 units, 150 in Norcross, and then a little over about a hundred, another hundred in Gainesville. Um, so that property has gone full cycle. So it was sold in 2021. So about a little over 20, close to 24 months later, it was sold. Investors got back all their monies as well as a portion of the realized gains. So it was about a 24% return investors got back. Um, and keep in mind, because of the commercial, the way in which we invest in the commercial space, these investors, many of them um, experienced not paying any taxes on any of these, like, any of the cash they received, both during the whole period, as well as at the sale. Um, one, there was a 1031 option, which enabled them to move into and move their proceeds into a new deal, which defers tax. Um, and then many of them had other opportunities. So I provided them with another opportunity the end of the year to invest in a new deal that was in Florida. Um, and that deal was a brand new class A, 300 and something units in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, and so that one will also kick off um, passive losses for them, even though they will start getting distributions here in 2022. So the passive losses that they will get, that will offset um, the gains that they realized from the sale of the investment in 2021, of the other investment in 2021. So that's what I do. I continue to sort of create those opportunities for investors to invest in commercial real estate projects. I continue to do it myself. One, I'm naturally doing it myself. And so like being able to bring other people along with me along the journey is just, is very powerful and extremely rewarding because it enables them to sort of grow their wealth as well. I'm growing my wealth, they're growing their wealth. We're all together being able to invest in really good assets with good, um, good operators. So yeah. Is there a specific type of investor you look for? Yeah, so um, typically the minimum investment on these deals are anywhere between 25 to about $50,000 um, to invest in one of these deals. Um, many of my investors these days are accountants. Um, I think it's just my natural circle of you know fellow accountants who are now at a point in their career where they want to invest and generate wealth and cash flow and that kind of stuff. So getting a combination of appreciation as well as um, cash flow. So yeah. Where can people reach you? Your email, your website? Uh, 
Yeah. So my website is lisahilton.com. On there, there's a free guide um, to real estate syndications talking about like how they work, what the process is all about. Um, you can also find me on YouTube at Lisa Hilton as well on YouTube. All of my podcast episodes from the Level Up REI is on my website, which is lisahilton.com, but it's also on YouTube, which is my Lisa Hilton channel. channel. So you can find my podcast in both places. I also have on there like webinars that I've done with tax professionals, infinite banking, webinars on doing due diligence on real estate properties and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, there's also a, a free passive investor guide that's on YouTube too. So like just taking, like if you're not into like words and you're more into video than the video um, content is on YouTube as well. So, yeah. China or Dre, do you have any other questions or comments? I do not. All right. For you, Lisa, do you have any other last words of wisdom, comments, advice for us or anybody else who is listening? Yeah. You know, I would just say when you're starting early in your career, uh, try different things, try different things. It helps you in terms of like being able to see and discover what it is that you want. And even when you think that you found what you wanted, like if there's opportunities to try different paths and different, you know, different things, like I just think it's very wise to try them if the opportunity comes up. Because what it does is it gives you a different perspective. Um, it makes your experience more unique, to be honest. And it gives you a lot of perspective that you probably wouldn't have if you didn't have tried these different things. Because once you, you've tried a lot of different stuff, you'll be like, you know what? I actually have a good sense of what it is that I want, what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Um, at least I hope that's the case. So, so yeah, that's what it has been the case for me. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be with us and to talk to us and give us your advice. Um, we really appreciate it. And again, thank you all for watching and listening. And we will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.